0: questions you never thought you could ask at church. Text your questions in to 815-314-0363. Any of you, all of you, whoever you might be, whether you're new to FOF, whether you're a Christian or not, it does not matter. We want to hear the questions that you have about God, about the Bible, about Christian thinking and understanding and worldview, about spirituality, about how to follow Jesus, about those hot topics that are in the world today and and what Jesus might have to say about them, about how this belief system of Christ compares to other belief systems in the world. I will get them in real time on this iPad right here. I will get them anonymously. So feel free to ask the questions that you're afraid to ask, embarrassed to ask, ashamed to ask, big, little, it doesn't matter. I'll get them anonymously. And what I'm gonna do is the best job I can to be as forthright, honest, transparent, and give you as much guidance as I can in short little bits on the questions that you are asking. Make sense? Last week, they came flooding in. We barely scratched the surface, but don't let that hold you off today. I am actually gonna start with two questions that came in this morning but not via text. When I came into my office this morning, there was a post-it on my door. Old school, all right? Way to go. And it simply says this, Happy Sunday. Why is church on Sunday? (laughs) Because we want to ruin your Saturday night. (laughs) Go with me here. When Jesus rose from the dead, which was on a Sunday, this was not just a dead man coming back to life, as amazing and cool and powerful that is. It is nothing short of heaven crashing into earth, and more specifically, the future crashing into the present. From very early on, when Adam and Eve fall into sin and death came into this world, God spoke through the prophets and his people about a day that would come when God would right all wrongs and restore this broken world and bring the dead back to life, when death would have no mastery anymore. And they looked at this as a new age, eternity, the age to come, heaven, if you will. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it is nothing short of that new age crashing into the present. That eternity is here now, breaking in. See, when God laid down the Sabbath law for his people that you should honor the seventh day, which is Saturday, not Sunday, and keep it holy, and that this is to last basically for all time, With Jesus coming, time has finally ended and the new age is here. And because it started on a Sunday, Christians worship at the beginning, they worship on the day that marks the beginning of the new age with the resurrection of Jesus leading the way. And that is why we do it on Sunday. Pretty cool, right? All right. Second question came in this morning verbally. One of our rock kids, a fifth grader, came up to me this morning, and he actually said, "I've got a question, and can we do it this morning?" And I'm like, "That's amazing! I love to see it when 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 our like fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders are just stirring with these questions of God. Listen to how good this question is. How did people get into heaven before Jesus? Is a good question?" Because if we get into heaven because Jesus died for our sins, it stands to reason that there's a whole lot of people who lived and died before Jesus ever died for our sins. So how did they get in? They got in the same way that we do. They got in by the death of Jesus because the death of Jesus works in two directions. It counts for those Who follow Jesus, but it also counts for those who are before Jesus. Romans 3, verse 25, maybe 26, will talk about this, where it says, God let the sins committed beforehand go unpunished meaning they had to be paid for, but God let the debt accrue and laid those sins on Jesus' back as well as the sins of you and me who follow him. So anyone who threw themselves on the mercy of God back before Jesus, God is merciful and God would accept them. But Jesus worked the reason why. Because without Jesus' death, god's justice would have to prevail but now in god's merciful spirit through christ those who follow jesus and those who precede jesus can have their debt of sin paid and be brought into heaven and that's how it works so adam eve jesus died for them too make sense all right let's get into the text in arena this has exploded again oh my gosh All right, let me kind of narrow in here. The Bible says the path is narrow. And on the final day, he will say, I never knew you. Well, to some. How do we know our faith is truly real and we are saved and not like the Pharisees? I love that you're asking this because I think it's so easy to delude ourselves into thinking that we are in Christ when perhaps we are not. I love how Paul puts this. In 2 Corinthians 13, I believe it's verse 5, where he says, test yourself. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. And if you're not, do something about it. Testing yourself is one of the most important things you can do, especially on this question. So here's how you test yourself. You begin by asking this single question. Do I actually believe that I'm a sinner? And if you are answering no to that question, the Bible is going to invite you to look through different eyes to try to examine yourself differently. If you come to that conclusion and you've come to the realization of just the darkness and and, and the mired nature of your own soul, the brokenness of who you are and the sins and offenses against God that you have, ask yourself this question. Do I believe that Jesus died and rose again for my sins? And do I trust him? Do I throw myself on his mercy? Am I putting my lot in with him for my salvation? There is a lot of things in people in this world that believe in Jesus, including the demons. Knowing and believing that Jesus exists does not get you into heaven. Throwing yourself on his mercy and trusting in him for your salvation does. And if you have not done that, do it right now. Paul says do something about it. Start today. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in the repository of good things that you've done in your life. Stop going, I'm a good person. Don't stand before God saying that. Oh, you're going to be sorely disappointed on that last day if you think you are good enough for God. No, you need his mercy. You need his grace. You need his forgiveness precisely because you are convinced you are not a good person. And that's how you test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And I would just throw one more log on the fire. For those of you who are doing that, ask yourself, am I taking my life with Christ seriously? Am I really looking seriously at the sins that own me or are they my my little pets that I kind of enjoy having around and have to clean up their mess once in a while? No, am I really mortified by them, really struck to the heart, really disgusted by them, and I'm really looking to turn them over to God? These are signs and evidences of a living faith within you. And if I can help you on that journey and process some of this with you, it is the most important thing ever please take me up on it. I'd love to walk you through that with absolutely zero judgment with wherever you might be. Thanks for asking. How about this? Can you explain predestination and what we as Christians are to believe about it? Yes, I can. Did Jesus appear pre-incarnate in human form in the Old Testament? He He may have. There are various times that God will manifest himself in some kind of visible form in the Old Testament, and um, some suggest that that might be Jesus. One in particular is a figure called the Angel of the Lord." And it's ambiguous. We're not really sure. but do remember this: Christ has been around. From the beginning. Can I put it this way? The second person of the Trinity has been around from the beginning. Jesus was born around 1 AD, probably around 4 BC actually, but God and the second person of the Trinity existed before he took on human flesh. So he may have popped up on the scene, hey, let's kind of see what's going on, but uh, you can't say that with any kind of certainty. So, how about this? Not a faith question, but would FOF be able to add subtitles to pre-recorded videos? Even when they're displayed in church, I have a hard time hearing sometimes what's being said. Um, I don't know. Hey, Andrew, um, would, would FOF be able to add subtitles to pre-recorded videos? Yeah, we could do that. All right, let's give it up for Andrew. All right, All right how about this? When will the FOF Questions podcast have new episodes again? I'm glad that you're listening. We've taken the summer off. The plan is to launch again sometime this August. If that happens on Labor Day, please don't like, accuse me of being a liar because sometimes our best laid plans unravel. But I will give you a sneak peek. We have more questions right now than I can get to this Sunday morning, and this is the last week that we're doing it for this series. We actually had more questions last week than I could get to in 10 weeks of doing this, and I watched it compile today. Our plan is to take the podcast in a slightly different direction. With the questions podcast in particular, what we are going to do is probably a series of two to three minute shorts, maybe running them on Reels, maybe running them as YouTube shorts, but distributing them through Facebook and things like that that are cataloged and easily identifiable by the question and try to roll out answers to these questions, maybe one a week, maybe two a week, maybe more, we'll have to find our right pace. On occasions, there'll be topical things that like 10 questions on one topic, we'll, we'll probably do a 20 or 30. 30-minute episode and do it on that. Additionally, we want to bring an interview capacity in where I just want to sit down with people and go, tell me about your questions. I want to sit down with people who come here. I want to sit down with people who had never stepped foot in a church. I want to sit down with people who are Christian. I want to sit down with people who are pagan and Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and nuns and everything else in between. And let's hear the questions firsthand. And that is all rolling out this late summer or fall. So keep tuned and know that it is coming our way. Here's one. How do you feel about signs from God? I like them. (laughs) It's a good question though. And how do you distinguish between what God is telling you and what you ultimately think you want? You are asking the million dollar question right now in discernment. And here is the short answer. With absolute certainty, you probably will not be able to distinguish between a potential sign of God and ultimately maybe just what you want. But absolute certainty does not negate probability. And so let me give you a couple of guiding principles If the sign is telling you something contrary to the commands, ways, or even just ethos of Jesus and the scriptural witness, it is not a sign from God. You are just reading into it something that you want. If it does corroborate, then you have to go deeper. And then you start have to asking yourself things like this. Does God really want me to do this? Is this a good thing? And understand that God will lay out multiple good paths before you. I don't think God is setting up one trail of destiny for us, hoping that we will guess it and find it. And if we don't, that somehow we've ruined our lives. There are any number of jobs that you can take that would glorify God. Any number of people that you can marry, assuming yet you're not married (laughs) that would glorify God. Any number of phone plans that you can start (laughs) that might glorify God. And any number of other hundred life questions that come by day to day. Keep in mind that God wants you to learn what it means to be a mature human being and Christian by living in the principles of who he is, not by him telling you every step of what you have to do. And you can pray for those signs. You can ask for those signs. You can look for them. But don't put your major stock in them. Make them secondary. Put your major stock into what God has revealed and put your major stock into how God is working in you and learning what it means to just act as a hopefully mature spiritual human being and let the signs aid but not direct That's probably the best advice I can give to you in, what was that, maybe 90 seconds or less. So, there will inevitably be many people who live their whole lives without being introduced to Christianity. Maybe due to location, family, upbringing. How can God expect them to come to Christ? Love this question. Thank you for asking. And it is one that has plagued and truly bothered people for so long because, man, if we start with the basis that we are saved by believing in Christ's name, that presumes you need to know him in some capacity. Would you agree? And man, that just kind of stinks for that person who lived maybe in, like, sub subcontinental India or, or, or China or, or Africa or maybe, um, you know, pre-Christian United States among indigenous people or whatever it happens to be, going, man, they're just kind of like, well, you were born in the wrong place a long time, so it stinks to be you. you, you know? I think sometimes that's what we get baited into thinking. But can I just ask you, does that strike you as the heart of God? So trust that. But that's not the heart of God. And that God's heart is for these people more than it is for you. Now, here's, here's the tough rocks. God puts things like this often in our hands. So let me go back to something I mentioned earlier. If you are worried about this, who are you telling about Christ? God has set up a mechanism to fix this problem. And it's called you. Right. What are you going to do about it? There you go. Now, I can go deeper into this. But it would risk pulling back from the absolute urgent command to share the good news that prevails through the Bible. Here we go. Are Jehovah's Witnesses Christians, that's actually a little bit trickier to answer than might seem. And here's why. Never judge a person by their affiliation. Let me reframe the question. We are a Lutheran church. Did you know that, by the way? (laughs) Are Lutherans Christians? Some are. I know a lot who aren't. I know many people who have membership in Lutheran churches, who attend and worship in Lutheran churches, who call themselves Lutheran and pride themselves on Lutheranism, and God is far from their heart. They are not living in repentance. They are not depending on the salvation of God. They are trusting in themselves or other things. God has been sealed out. Which inversely means that sometimes you can look in organizations, denominations if you will, that clearly have teachings contrary to the Bible and Christ as the Jehovah's Witnesses do. And yet among them find those who nonetheless do have Christ in their heart even if their teaching is mired or their church affiliation would seem to suggest otherwise. So, I do not believe that the Jehovah's Witness organization has correct doctrine. But that doesn't mean that everyone who claims to be a Jehovah's Witness isn't saved. And I encourage you to operate with that in mind and think about people as individuals and don't judge them by their label, religious or otherwise. All right? Hopefully that helps. Here's one. As Christians, we believe we serve everyone and judgment only belongs to God. If we see a car crash and there is a truly evil person bleeding out, are we to help save their life? You know, or is that God just kind of like, gotcha? <laughs> and then as a follow-up, how do Christians accept, uh, accept capital punishment if we are to save the lives of people? So, uh, let's start to to unpeel this. Ultimately, the judgment of a human being for eternity belongs to God and God alone. But we are called to make judgments as human beings day by day. You make a thousand judgment calls every single day, and that's just good to do, right? Um... Sometimes people will get caught into this idea of Jesus' line, judge not lest ye be judged, and kind of apply it as this blanket statement to how they live their life, going, well, I won't make any decisions towards what's right and wrong or what's wise and foolish. Well, that that would be a horrible distortion of what Jesus says in a misapplication. So we are called to make many judgments um, day by day. But ultimately, God calls us to this. Instead of worrying about the judgment seat of whether someone deserves something or not, just treat people with mercy. Treat good people with mercy. Treat bad people with mercy. Treat righteous people with mercy. Treat evil people with mercy. Find that person that you hate, that person who stands against everything you believe in, that person who seeks to undermine all good in this world, and God says, treat him with mercy. So no matter who that person is bleeding out in that car, go and help them. But make a judgment call, be wise, and put on gloves first so you don't get blood contamination. All right? Make sense? How does that apply to capital punishment? Well, within Christianity as a whole, there is a division of thought on this. Some saying, no, capital punishment is something that God does allow. With others going, it should not be the way anymore. Now, I'm not going to talk in terms of policy. I'm not going to talk in terms of the way any nation in particular practices it. That is a different set of questions. I am simply going to speak theologically. I believe theologically that the Bible does allow for capital punishment, underline this next line, rightly practiced. And that isn't often the case. But rightly practiced. And there's multiple reasons why, and I I kinda so wanna get baited down here right now, but I wanna hit the volume of questions rather than make my defense. So if this is something that you would like to read more about or discuss more thoroughly, good news. We've got a whole life together at this church, and this is not our only opportunity. Take me up on it. I love to come over for dinner. I love food. (laughs) Your treat, and we'll talk. Sound good? All right. All right. Let's see this one. Okay, it's a little bit longer. Let me process. Was earth truly perfect before Eve bit into the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? You can read that story in Genesis uh, 2 and 3 will be most pertinent. If so, how did the serpent capable of sin arrive on earth? Okay, let me answer. The serpent arriving on Eve eating fruit. They are completely separate things. Isn't the serpent deceiving Eve the first real sin on earth? Maybe. There may have been fallenness before that, but it's not the first sin among humanity. So hopefully that helps there. And Eve biting into the apple the second. Okay, we hit it. Does the Bible say anything about God blocking this from happening, um, returning from heaven? Not in chapter, in verse, but yes, in substance. And I can give you the theological reason why. Why? The theological reason is this, and I'm going to teach you a very dorky phrase, beatific vision. Isn't that like the the worst, like this lamest thing you've ever heard? Beatific vision. Well, you know what vision is? I'm spitting. Sorry, Steve. Do you know what vision, you know what vision is, right? No? Okay. Vision is a character in the Marvel universe, right? You're seeing something. Beatific is a fancy old medieval word that kind of means blessed, the blessed vision. And what it refers to is when you finally see the face of God. The understanding in Christian theology is this. When you finally see the face of God, you will be so captivated, mesmerized, and overwhelmed that the thought of sinning would not even enter the equation that whether it is possible, it just won't happen because that is how good, wonderful, illuminating, and powerful God is, that you are just, and it just can't creep in. that is the theological answer to the question, even if I can't give you a chapter and verse. But if you like this kind of stuff, I can give you kind of a theological sense and stream, a vein, if you will, that runs through the Bible that might be able to help that a little bit more. How about this? Got some heaven questions coming in here today. Is there time in heaven? Do you think God is out of time? Can God see our timeline but not in it? Let's go last to first. That feels very biblical, would you agree? Can God see our timeline? but stand out of it? Absolutely, and he does, but he also enters it as Jesus did. Do you think God is out of time? Yes, but he also enters it. I think I've hit maybe two with one there. Is there time in heaven? I believe that there is. And I believe that there is for a number of reasons. Because what you think about as heaven is probably not the Bible's picture of eternity. Heaven is a temporary state of being if your definition of heaven is being a disembodied spirit up in heaven while your body rots in the ground. That's temporary. The Bible points to a different hope. It's called resurrection, that your body will rise again and you will be reunited. And so what occurs in heaven now will come to an end. That, of course, implies time. And you even see this alluded to in the Bible. I think of Revelation chapter 6, where it says, the souls that were beheaded for the name of Jesus, right? So they, they, they got killed because they, they put their lot in with Christ. You know what they cry out under the altar? This is Revelation 6 and change. You can read it for yourself. How long, O Lord? People in heaven are crying out, how long, O Lord? Well, anytime you cry out, how long, You're talking about time, aren't you? Run with that see where it takes you. Here's one. Is it sinful to break up with your partner if you're still dating? I feel like the answer to this question might lead us down certain roads that I do not want to take responsibility for. (laughs) So, It is not sinful to date someone and then come to the decision that that is not the right person to spend the rest of your life with, and all these couples here are stewing right now, who yeah. right? It is not sinful to say, "I've come to believe you're not the one." I mean, you have to tell them that, but I mean, you know what I mean? So no. It is not ultimately sinful to end a dating. In fact, I would argue that's the point of dating. To kind of try to figure out, are we a good match? Are you the one? But how you go about the breakup may in fact be sinful. So, if you're leaning that way, do it right. Do it well. And that doesn't mean sending an anonymous text like we're doing right now, right? To your, your boyfriend or girlfriend going, I don't think Blank wants to see you anymore and then ghosting them the rest of your life. Do it with compassion, with honesty, take full responsibility and own your actions and do not jack someone around. We can talk more. Does that sound like pretty good advice? Yeah. All right, all right. Except to the person who's getting broken up with that church. Okay, let me take this. If someone I know is suicidal, what can I do to convince them that God doesn't want them dead? Forgive me for using this word. It's simple. Tell them, God doesn't want you dead. But don't just put it on God's shoulders. You take ownership for it too you tell them, I don't want you dead. Don't claim to speak for other people. Other people have to speak for themselves. But you look them in the eye and you say it and you don't beat around the bush. I don't want you dead. I don't want you to kill yourself. Many of you know that my father took his own life in a very violent way about 10 years ago. I've lived this journey and at some level, you cannot control another human being. But you need to do what is in your power to communicate bluntly, clearly, lovingly, and honestly that their life is worth living, that you love them, that more importantly, God loves them and that you do not want them dead. You get off the phone here texting today and if you need to do this now, you go do this now and you go, hey, I wanna talk to you. And you open that door. Put yourself on the line. A life hangs in the balance. All right, a couple more, a couple more. You doing okay? Okay. Kind of roll the shoulders here, kind of breathe deep. All right. How about this? My sister blames God for everything that goes wrong in her life, but doesn't praise him for the good things that happen. What can I say to, cha- to, to make her change? What can I say like change her mind? Is I think the essence here? Man, I mean, you know, it's, it's so frustrating. I think a lot of us have known someone like this in our life. And uh, maybe you're here today and actually doing the same kind of thing, making God the excuse or the reason for all that's wrong, but never the one you acknowledge for that which is right. Well, that's hypocritical. That's just kind of messed up. That, that, that's, you know, anytime God is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, or any other human being in their life, maybe the issue isn't with God or that person, but the way that you're perceiving them. So what can you do to change their mind? I don't know. And I know that that's not helpful, but I want to be blunt. I don't know. And here's the reason why. Because what I have found is that the hard heart is the hardest thing to crack. There have been people in my life that no matter what evidence they see, no matter what they've been told no matter what's explained no matter how many times it's been going through and no matter how many times it's been demonstrated if they refuse to see they just won't see so what i can encourage you to is this entrust them to god because god will do better work than you in working on their heart and on their mind but don't just wash your hands of it be willing to engage in conversations Be willing to be blasphemed. Be willing to be chided or made fun of. Be quick to listen. Learn so that you can speak intelligently into some of the issues and struggles they have. This is being generated more by a heart issue than a cognitive issue, I believe. There's an anger there, a frustration there, a point of trauma or pain, or maybe a trend that's developing this. That's my suspicion any way, or even maybe alternatively, a certain sense of smugness or pride that sees themselves over these simple things. Enter the fray and pray for them diligently and hope that God will do his work in his way. How would Jesus feel about Americans' transition to a Babylon culture? If you don't understand the reference, Babylon was one of the ancient enemies of Israel and it stood in strict contrast in many ways to the values, beliefs, and ways of the people of God. It's not really fair to say because when Babylon overtook Israel, Israel was probably worse than Babylon. But nonetheless, you follow the meaning. How would Jesus feel about it? Well, I think he feels pretty sad about it. I, feel, I think he feels pretty sad when people turn their back on him, deny him, and reject him. But I think he loves people like that. And I think he realizes that a lot of people don't know better. Hence why outreach is so important. So there you go, I'm putting it back on you. Two more. I have been told by a pastor that gossiping is a sin because it kills the relationship. How would you compare that with thou shalt not murder? Metaphorically, I'd compare it a lot. No, gossiping is not the same as murder unless your gossiping actually leads to their actual murder. But yeah, you're killing a reputation. And that's what the Eighth Commandment is about. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor because God is not just concerned about the person's body, God is also concerned about the person's reputation. And so protecting both is essential and doing no harm to either is also essential. And with that, we can say there's probably not a lot of physical murderers in this room, but how many of us are reputational murderers? Well, yeah, let's start lining up, right? So... I'm going to end with one more simply because of time. Why does it matter to join a church or not? I love this question. And I love it especially in our context here at Fellowship of Faith where you can belong to this church whether you're a member or not. Take part in this church whether you're a member or not and be viewed as part of the family whether you're a member or not. So let me phrase the question through an alternate lens. Why does it matter if we ever get married? Just keep dating. Especially in this day and age where a lot of people date and they live together, they sleep together, they share bank accounts together. Why do they still get married? Why does it matter? All of us, or dare I say many of us, I think have an internal sense that it does still matter even if we can't articulate it, right? And the same is true for church membership because there comes a point where you go, does commitment matter? We need to date for a while and the same is true in churches too. But there does come a point when you're with a body of believers going, can you count on me and can I count on you? Are these people worth committing to? Because membership is about making a commitment. It assumes a commitment to God already, but a commitment to the people who gather with you saying, you can count on me in this place to be there for you, to walk alongside of you, to pray for you, to help support the ministry here, to serve one another, to be a presence, to be a host, and so many other things I can see. That's why it matters. It matters a lot. And if you'd like to learn more about the membership journey here at FOF, we're going to be having a workshop on Saturday. I want to say it's September 8th. You can hop on our website to get the exact date. Come check it out, see what it's about, and we can help you take that step if you haven't done it yet. So that is all I have time for today. In fact, it is more than I had time for today. But there are so many great questions. Scrolling here that i have not gotten to yet and so i just encourage you we will be in touch through our channels like e-news and social media with answers to these specific questions rolling out through our podcast come august or maybe september so let's pray together and come to god father you are good and before time began You've called us, you've known us by name. Outside of time, you've seen the timeline of this world. And I pray, God, that those of us who are your mere creatures, that you have instilled with glory and honor to be your image bearers, would do it wisely, would do it rightly, would honor you in it. Lord, we stand before you asking your forgiveness because we know we make a mess of things. We know we make a mess of our lives. We know we make a mess of other people. We know we make a mess of our relationships and we know we make a mess of this world. Forgive us, God, not because we're good, but because you're good. Forgive us, God. We're just asking for mercy. We're asking for grace. And we know that you'll give it because you sent your son to die for us. By his blood, wash us clean and may that be the bedrock of our hope. Turn our eyes from inside to you. To you. Throwing our destiny, our lot, our salvation, and our souls into your very hands, going, oh God, save. Create in us a fervor for those who are confused about you, angry at you, who have never heard about you, to take responsibility, God, with joy to share the goodness of who you are. Work with every person here in that array. We pray, God, that your, your goodness, your presence, Your mercy and your truth comes out loud and strong among the kids who are going to be gathering this week. Bless them in that, we pray. For everyone here who has had a question unanswered, Lord, give them patience and help us as a church learn what it means to speak into it. Open up conversations that we can have to go deeper. For those who have answered their questions today, I hope that God has given them direction and, and guard them and guide them in that. And as it even raises up five more questions, help them to know that the journey is good because you are on it. For those who are here today who, for whom my answers were unsatisfactory, not as helpful as they can be, I ask your forgiveness. And I pray, God, that we can keep that conversation going to seek your truth and your wisdom in these questions that are deep and real, with substance, heart, an implication and consequence in life. We throw ourselves in your hands, wanting to learn more, but ultimately knowing you are the one of all wisdom and trusting in that even when we don't know and can't see. God, we pray. Amen.